A lot of times we throw out the word passive income, entrepreneurship, and we just toss those out there. Today's guest has actually figured out a way to combine both of those in a really creative way. Uh, Daniel, who's our guest today, is honestly a, a legend in my eyes. Daniel's the owner of Doran Holdings and he buys businesses now. In 2011, I was just a worker and then I was kind of doing the network marketing thing mm -hmm. on the side, figuring out if I could do it. Which that opened my mind to the idea of being in business for yourself. Mm. <laughs> Don't launch a business and start a business unless you realize that. Yeah. Like there's all these yeah. people saying it's a great thing to do. I would say if you have a really good job, don't do it. Keep that <laughs> salary and just keep your easy life yeah. unless you have a. He started in the construction industry on the line, just working away, and he's built himself up from scratch to the point where he now buys businesses. He has four businesses to his name and he's not stopping anytime soon. The conversation today was nothing less of inspiring, motivating, and honestly, it, it helped me think more creative in my journey and my entrepreneurial walk. I know that you guys are gonna enjoy this podcast, but really quick, if you guys enjoy the way the podcasts have been looking, the cuts, the edits, uh, you're definitely gonna wanna check out NVN Creates. They're my editing team. I trust them implicitly with everything I send them. They're awesome, and I would definitely recommend you reaching out to them because they are pretty great. All right, let's jump into today's episode of The Dylan England Show with Daniel Dory. Once we're like the new Joe Rogan show. That'd be, that would be impressive, and it would definitely pay off at that point, for sure. Do you know who Tim Ferriss is? Yeah. So what you were telling me about before we started recording about the, uh, you said Philippines, right? Yeah. You were looking into, yep. uh, that's like literally like half of his book. So he wrote a book. Right. Before, have you read The 4-Hour Workweek? I have, yeah. Is that where you got the idea from? So I looked into it a while back um, when that happened, but I just didn't have enough work for it. Yeah. There's a couple guys on Twitter, Nick Huber, he does mm -hmm. the sweaty startups. He and a guy named Sean Puri have talked about this company, Support Shepherd. And so that's where I, I just was like, I'll see what it's about. Support and, Shepherd. Yeah. That's interesting. So what, they, They're what, both part owners in it, but they basically are a sourcing agency who they interview candidates, do background checks, do all this stuff, take your job description, and then- go and find like five applications. Hmm. And so whatever the price you're going to pay for the, the person direct, the first year of your compensation, you're paying them 30% is like a finder's fee. Hmm. So if you're paying them 10 grand for the year, then you're going to pay them 3000 bucks for the initial finding of that person. That's their, but you only, model. but you only pay them if they find you somebody. Correct. If you hire somebody. Gotcha. And then they guarantee you whatever the first six months. It's like a lot of staffing agencies here. Yeah. But just for the Philippines, and that's what they specialize in. That's smart, man. Yeah. So it's, it, I haven't pulled the trigger yet, but I probably will. It makes sense. Yeah. I mean, just your ROI, like if you'd spend 12 grand a year, you'd be spending that in two to three, you know, three, four months here if you had to hire someone locally. Yeah. Yeah. So that's smart. Yeah. It's kind of like our, uh, our Nepal team that we have. It just makes a lot of sense. And I know that there's some people that give you pushback. They're like, you need to hire local. And right. I'm like, well, there's two ways to look at that. For for to me, it's like, well, if we go out of business because we can't afford to hire anybody, we're not going to be able to hire anybody. We're not going right. to be able to do anything. Yep. You know, and that's where I look at it. It's like, I could either create content or not create content. And the only way I'm creating content is if I I can't pay an editor here two thousand bucks a month. Like that's just not feasible for no. me. No. Yeah, it's not three hundred. Okay. Like now we can now we can have a conversation. Right. Uh, so yeah, Daniel, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm super excited uh, for this conversation. For those that don't know, Daniel is a brother of Derek Doran, who is the first ever guest on the podcast and actually one of the most viewed podcasts so far. Uh, Daniel's story is awesome. Lights are on, baby. So 
Daniel's awesome. Uh, his story is one that when his brother told me about him, I'm like, I need to have him on the show. And actually, uh, his other brother, David, who's my pastor, texted me. He was like, dude, Daniel's coming to town. <laughs> you got to get him on your show. And then David told me a little bit about his story. And I'm like, man, I want to know more. My listeners would love this. So thanks for coming on the show. No problem. I'd love to just jump into your story, man, because it's you, t- you shared a little bit, but not everything. So could we go back to college? Sure. And then maybe go from there. So you had what kind of degree in college? Sports ministries, which is basically sports management, but with the Christian ministry focus. Okay. Hey, you're going to be an athletic director, a teacher, a coach at a Christian school, or do camps or whatever. That was the focus. Nice. Yeah. And did you always want to be an entrepreneur? Like back then in college, were you kind of like, hey, I'm just doing this because I like sports, but I yeah have an entrepreneur itch in me? Or No, never once did I have the entrepreneur itch in me. We, we did paper routes as kids. And it was a job. We just thought of it as a way to make money for college yeah, and sure. different things like that. We did lawns, but I never once thought about owning a business at all until I can get into that. But in college, I just went to play sports. Um, and then I was going to be a, you know, athletic director potentially or a teacher mm. at our school, Inner City, which is here in Michigan. And ultimately, it was through who I married and the connection I made that got me down the road of entrepreneurship so i can i can walk into that yeah let's do it man uh, this is yeah I'm, yes. I'm thrilled so in college i started dating my my now wife okay and went out to visit her family and her family is pretty entrepreneurial they're in uh their dad has a construction business they also are in a network marketing business and so i actually saw a network marketing business and i was like what is this i don't get what this mm-hmm. is about but i know these other people who are successful at it and I'm flexible right now, so I'll just move out there and work in construction and see what this is all about. So that was kind of the, the intro yeah. to entrepreneurship was a network marketing business and some successful people who I saw with fruit on the tree of success financially. And I basically was like, all right, I'll move out there, learn from them, total de- deviate from my plans of being an athletic director just to see what it's about. So that's how the initial... And that's when you moved to Seattle. I moved from Detroit to Seattle. Then we got married out there, started working for her dad. So that was the initial thing was I just had a job working in the field for her dad. And then I was going to potentially build this network marketing business on the side. Okay. So, so that, that, that was the goal the whole time. Like Once I decided to move out there, I was going to, that's what I was going to give it a shot. I was going to try to build this thing. They said it was the best thing. A few other people I knew who were doing well in it. I was like, okay, well, we'll just give this Mm. thing a shot. You're telling me it's good. I see the fruit on the tree of these people and I'll just see if we can do it. Okay. So then you worked at the construction company. Yep. Just sucking down fiberglass every day. (laughs) Literally what we did was pipe insulation. So you take a three foot long stick of fiberglass pipe insulation cut it to fit around every notch and just put it on the pipes go to the next section put it on the pipes carry stuff up and down buildings this is in apartment buildings and commercial construction so that was that was what i started doing in 2011 okay. and so i did that for about a year where i was just that was it i was just a worker and then i was kind of doing the network marketing thing mm-hmm. on the side figuring out if i could do it which that opened my mind to the idea of being in business for yourself, mm. right? It, I ultimately didn't go down that road, but it opened my mind to it. And then in 2013, so I'd worked for my father-in-law for about a year and a half. 
a guy approached my father-in-law and I and one other person about, hey, I'm retiring from my business and we have some of the same clients that you have. And so they were doing what's called fire stopping, which not to bore you, but no, this is great. it's breaking up a building into fire rated sections. So we're in a six story building, eight story building right now. If a fire starts on level five, you want it to take a certain amount of time to get to level six and to level three and to the rooms next to it. We go in and install material that will help slow down a fire. Like hard to burn material. Hard to burn material materials or stuff that expands and fills gaps. So that's yeah, I always I, this is interesting though because I always wondered like so skyscrapers in New York for example I always wondered like how if like second floor yeah gets inflamed how they just don't go like yeah. all the way up so yeah and they have how. you got sprinkler systems and then you have passive protection which is our stuff that would when heat hits it it expands and fills gaps and shrinks down on holes mm. and does that stuff so we we install that stuff it's a very regulated thing okay but this guy came and said hey we're retiring I'm I'm stepping out of this. It was a one-man show. He just did a few jobs a year, but we knew him through some people. And so we were like, okay, maybe we'll work for the same clients and start a business. My father-in-law said to me and another guy, hey, you guys want to partner on this? I don't have the time or bandwidth to go after it, but if we all did it together, maybe we could, you know, have a nice little side thing and grow our business. And I was like, yeah, sure. Let's do it. So basically I kept my job. Okay. And this other guy who worked with my father-in-law and I as well kept his job. And we worked extra in the evenings, selling, bidding, you know, doing whatever we could to help grow that second business. Mm. And pretty shortly after the third partner left, he just was like, I don't think this, this is going to work out. Yeah. So he left. And then I kept working for my father-in-law. And ultimately, this is when my kind of mindset shifted. I was like, I don't want to do this network marketing thing. <laughs> I want to do this real business that is like mm. tangible. I can like say, here's how we do this. And it's building things versus a network marketing business where it's, you got to have the relationship side. You got to have all this other stuff that, and sell people on the idea. Yeah. I, I just didn't want to do that. I wanted to grow the traditional business. Yeah. And so that's where in 2013, we started that thing. And the guy that retired, really retired, we couldn't reach him. We just started. And like we finished him jobs for him because he disappeared, just retired, stepped back. We yeah. finished the jobs and then started a new entity. So we just started going and from 2013, when we started to 2016, I still worked for my father-in-law part-time while growing that business, hiring people, selling jobs, managing wow. stuff. So I was kind of working two full-time jobs doing those two things. Yeah. And then ultimately I realized my father-in-law and I kind of had different goals. Mm. And so I just said to him, Hey, I'd love to buy you out now before I start to grow this thing more. <laughs> and then I have to pay more to buy you out later. Yeah. And worked out. And in 2017, I made the leap to go full-time and then run on my own and basically quit for working my father-in-law. And then you're on, you're on, on my own. own. So walk me through that conversation with your wife because, I mean, uh, yeah, we for those that are new to the show, uh, we talk a lot about how entrepreneurship affects a marriage. And whenever you're joined in marriage, uh, you might be more of a risk-taker than your spouse might be or vice versa. Now yeah. your wife did come from an entrepreneurship family, which I think probably helped in this situation. Yes. But how did that go when you were like, Hey, I think I want to buy out your dad Yep. and I think we can make this thing go. Like what was her reaction and how did, how did that happen? To be honest, my wife um, was very comfortable with the idea of, and she liked the idea of me being my own boss and the complications of having, it be a father-in-law, your employer, 
mm-hmm. with the one job and then your partner with another. And then it was the upline in the network marketing thing. It was a very complicated relationship. Unbelievable people. The greatest people ever. Love my father-in-law. I love my mother-in-law. But it was very complicated. And my wife was excited about the idea of us just being like family. Family. Yeah. And then we have the business here. Yeah. And so when we actually all four sat down, it was my wife, her mom and dad and I, and we all sat down and talked about it and went, you know, where do we want to go from here? There's no ill will, no bad feelings whatsoever, but just, we want to run after this thing. And he, the, the real hard part was he was my boss with my job and I have to work hard there. But I own this other thing, and yeah. I want to work way well, you, harder yeah, there. Yeah, you're, you're so there's like, a, your heart's over here, for yeah. lack of a better term. You're like, I want to work on this. Yes, I'm grinding through this just so I can work on this. And yeah. and he got that, and also it was a tough conversation because I think we all just were like, this is hard. But my wife was on board with it. She was excited about the idea of just being family and then just having this. Yeah. And we were very conservative in our finances to where we had grown the business without ever taking money out because I had a job, mm-hmm. and so the business was at a profitable point where it could pay me a salary that we could live on comfortably. It wasn't like we were just going for it. I had to make sure the business succeeded, mm. but it was running well enough and we had enough contracts locked up to where it wasn't this huge leap. Dave Ramsey talks about when you're like thinking about making the jump to go solo, make sure the boat's close enough to the thing before mm-hmm. you jump in. Mm-hmm. And that that was a big part of it was I worked for five years on both and it was it was very hard mm-hmm. to have two full-time jobs, but that allowed me to make the leap comfortably. I didn't even feel risky. Like I just wow. felt like, all right, cool. We have a budget amount saved. The business has what it's needed. And we have contracts. The, the beauty of construction is I could tell you right now how many contracts we have till 2024. Mm-hmm. So I don't know for sure that in 2025 we'll be okay, <laughs> but I do know a little security. for the next two yeah. years, we're in, here's what we have in revenue and here's what we have lined up. So that's that hmm. gives you the security that you need to make that jump we made had to make. So my wife didn't feel much risk there. That's interesting. I kind of want to pause on this for a second because you said you worked double for five years. Yeah. Um, do you think that if you would have said two years in before that the business was actually profitable enough to take on your salary, that it could take you less time to get to the point of full business ownership if you jumped in those flames earlier? Or based on your experience, you think, honestly, this was the best case scenario. I would recommend entrepreneurs take this route. Um, Because I think, because there's challenges, it it takes more time doing it the way you did it. Yeah. Um, But it also is less stress and less risk. So. Yeah, um, there's, there's pros and cons to both. Um, If, if I would have two years earlier done that, I probably would be a little farther ahead than I am right now, truthfully. but I don't know that I would change anything because I do tend to be risk averse. Mm-hmm. So I like the idea of working harder for a period of time to go, all right, there's less downside risk. Yeah. Um, one of my principles with looking at other businesses and doing things is I'm never going to risk everything right. for one thing. Mm-hmm. So like if I'm going to do a deal, that deal is going to not put everything at risk. It's only going to put that one thing I'm doing at risk. Mm-hmm. So I, that's the way I view it. I don't, I'm not very dogmatic on a lot of things. Yeah. I think there's a lot of nuance that can be had. And for some people it might work better to just make the leap, mm-hmm. but it is a scary thing. If you don't have that paycheck set yeah. of knowing what you live on and w- can we afford to eat next month and depends on what your wife's, like you mentioned the wife thing, my wife for finances, as long as she knows the budget, 
she doesn't really care about the long-term stuff. She knows that she trusts me. Yeah, which make it happen. It works in our situation, but that's where she had the confidence to say, I, I, if you think we can do it, we can do it. Mm. So, I, and I'm very thankful because that makes it a lot more freeing for me to make decisions when I don't have her questioning or wondering if we can do it. Yeah. I mean, communication's key. Yeah. I mean, really is where it comes down to. Communication's key. Uh, but I, I, I like... What you're saying makes sense to, I think, a lot of the people that don't have that, like, I'm just going to jump off a cliff entrepreneur, entrepreneur kind of mindset. Yeah. Like, I feel like your brother David would be a little bit more risk-takey than maybe you are. Maybe a little bit. He's calculated. Yeah. But he's willing to maybe do a little bit. And I could be wrong there. Um, but I do think that there's nothing wrong with keeping your cards close to your chest yeah. And just planning it, going slow. Um, and I like that strategy. For me, it was the exact opposite. I went from uh, traveling on an evangelistic team, knowing nothing about insurance. And then <laughs> yeah. uh, May was my last paycheck. June, I started 100% commission. And September, I was getting married. Yeah. And I was in a new state. And it forced us to grow fast. Like It was kind of like we had no choice but to make stuff happen. Yeah. Um, but the amount of stress and headaches and crying and like there were nights that I'd come home just like in tears of like deals that fell yeah. through because yeah. I didn't think I was going to be able to provide for my spouse. And right. Uh, that what you did is smart because you did avoid some of that stuff potentially. I will say there is a there's one caveat I should throw in there. The industry I'm in when it comes to how you get money in the door is far different. Mm. And so that's why I think I'm a little more hesitant because right now when we do a job, let's say we have a hundred thousand dollar job that I sell. Mm -hmm. Okay. We provide the service in January for 20% of that. We bill them. We don't get paid till March. Then we do February, bill them again, March, bill them again. And so I might land a hundred thousand dollars sale, but I'm not getting that money for potentially a year. Jeez. And I'm paying the costs along the way and every yeah. month so you have I'm a getting, cash flow problem. There's a cash point. flow problem yeah. if you're going to just make the leap. Yeah. So you can't pay yourself mm. a salary. You have to cover all the material costs, labor, everything. And then GCs might not even just, they just might not pay you because something went wrong on the job. So that is a real thing that happens in mm. our world of commercial construction because the banking system and the way that general contractors pay. So it is a different world. If I was in a business where I got paid tomorrow, I for sure would have would say push towards making a lead quicker because you can just mm. work equals money in the door. Yeah. In mine, I could land, I have contracts in 2024 that, I, yeah, great. I did a good job selling them this year, but that money's not coming until end of 2024. We're paying the money before that. Jeez. And all those, that cash flow of things is a Jeez. little bit more complicated in the yeah. commercial world than in the residential world mm. or in the insurance world where I would, I would push more towards the make the leap mm. sooner because you, you can just fight yeah. through it and get revenue in the door tomorrow. Yeah, that's is, a good point. So it's very industry specific. I mean, like- It can, if, it can be. If we have an entrepreneur listening to this, I mean, it really is just kind of how quick can you get that cash flowing, for lack of a better it, term. It's yeah. really how, how quick can you get cash flow in your business? And for you, if you have a turnaround time of a year or whatever- our, our, Well, our, our days, days, pales, or days sales outstanding, which is basically the average of your accounts receivable is 65 days. Wow. So from the time we bill them, it takes 65 days to get the check. And we've paid, by that time, we've done probably two months worth of work and the materials and all that stuff. We had to front the money for that. And then you'll get the check for the month, for the January stuff. How many construction companies and stuff like you go into debt when they first start to be oh, able to pay? Loads. 
Is that just kind of the the method that a lot of people just max out some credit card, business credit cards, maybe get a bank loan or something, and that's how you start? Yeah. Um, I can tell you for us, if you're willing to do like a, a significant portion of your stuff is labor. Mm-hmm. So a lot of them will start where I'm doing all the work myself and maybe have a helper, right? So your material costs are the only thing you have to cover. Mm-hmm. I'm working, 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 getting things done. And then I have a helper, but then I buy the materials and then I invoice and then I wait and it comes in. So you're not like going to have a huge job day one that you have to front all the stuff for. Yeah, That's going to come in three or four years once you've been able to get the flow of cash going. Mm-hmm. But a lot of construction businesses go out of business because they either have too much debt build up because they take cash out thinking Mm. they're in a good place, spend it on a house or a toy or whatever. And then now there's a cash problem. So there's a lot of debt in construction businesses. And when you sell a construction business in the commercial space, a lot of times you're only selling it for, you know, one to two times your net profit because there's so much volatility in that world. Mm. Um, You just don't get a, a huge multiple. They can be great businesses for making money, but it's not like a tech software company yeah. where you're going to get a valuation yeah. of four times, five, seven times, whatever your annual recurring revenue is. But yeah, so it's a different different industry and every industry is very different. But the commercial construction world is notorious for a lot of debt, a lot of lines of credit. Mm-hmm. Lines of credit are really important to make sure you can handle those cash yeah. flow for people. But And then a lot of people... I mean, do you ever have to put liens on people's stuff? And, yes. you know, I, I have I have a buddy who works in a, a gutter company, and he is the guy that has to call uh, people and be like, hey, you're not paying your bill. We are putting a lien on your home. Yes. Like, this, like I feel like that also just complicates cash flow as well sometimes, too. It does, yeah. And so, again, we're talking about... Sorry, I know we're in a niche right now, but it's, it's just interesting it's, to me. It's yeah. hard because I actually have... I have a gutter business as well that I'm part of. Um, but with our, my initial business, the lean process is even worse. So we have a building right now that we did all the work for, mm. and they still owe us about $15,000. They have declared that they're not going to pay anybody and they're going bankrupt. And so we have a lien on the building. And so we're trying to negotiate a way where we can still get that money at some point. But we, we most likely, hopefully they won't use this against me in the negotiations that are upcoming, I bet you we'll get 25% of what they owe us to clear the lien. Okay. Because I'm not going to hold that until somebody sells this $40 million apartment complex and then get settled by the new buyer, right? It's going to be like, we have to negotiate to get this done if they need to do a refinance or if they do something like that. Okay. So we're probably going to settle for like, all right, we get 25%. That's Now that's an outlier, but we've had three or four in the last eight years that have basically the building goes terribly wrong and you just, everyone gets stiffed on it but it's part of the business is it so like you can't do anything like there's nothing i mean no nope. yeah sure. or it's not even worth pursuing at some level it, you have your lien rights and then you follow a checklist to make sure that when you get paid you can get paid but most times you're just going to negotiate and say all right let's clear this lien up what do, what do you give me to do it mm. and so like we had one a couple years ago where they owed us eight thousand dollars and we just said uh, he offered me four and i was like all right sure the lien is released so Hmm. yeah 
It's a weird industry, but that's commercial. Commercial is a yeah, different game yeah, than I know. residential, which is the gutter businesses a lot of times. Um, that's what, We have a gutter business, and then we have a paver patio outdoor turf business, mm. and that is a lot different. You know, It takes two or three days for somebody to pay rather than 65. Yeah. So it's just a different different world. Yeah, so that's a perfect segue, I think, to continue your story. Sorry for that random name. I, it's just that's, fascinating to me because I'm just like that cash flow, especially running the risk of people just not paying after you've done your job, and that's just a – Level of stress it's, that I, I feel like it I, is. a lot of people couldn't handle or wouldn't want to handle. The biggest thing to help you handle it is don't spend your money. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, patience yeah. in business. I'm confident that the most important thing to being a, if you want to continue to grow a business and be successful is keep your personal expenses very low mm. and be conservative with how much cash you leave in the business. And then don't be afraid to take risks within the business. But so many people will be like, oh, we made this money. Yank it out. Go buy this. Yank it out. Go buy that. And then you're worried about, oh, when are they going to give me that check? Whereas if you left the money in the business for a couple more years, now you have a nest of cash in there that, okay, so what if they're a little slow on paying me? I don't care. Yeah. All because you just delayed gratification. Yeah. Delay personal gratification. And your business will be in a lot better shape. So Daniel, you realize this is 2023. I know. And, and that, that's not a that's not, not a, a popular take. It's not a popular take, but yeah. I, I think it's an important one if you want to run a business well, mm. is to delay your gratification personally. Yeah. Because there's no better wealth creating vehicle than owning a business if you do it right. Mm. I that's my personal take. And doing it right means you delay your personal gratification. You don't suck the business drive every dollar to spend it on a boat or a four-wheeler or a new workout gym and whatever whatever like you just stay conservative and then in five years of that conservative behavior then you can buy your boat or something yeah 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 it's funny you mentioned that i have a a client well it's probably a one percent chance they'll find this video so (laughs) fine um i have a i have a prospective client uh, that um, I'm working with on the business benefits side, trying to get uh, them to offer benefits to their employees. And uh, she is telling me that uh, they can't afford it right now um, for whatever reason. But she just bought a yacht. This is the, the funniest. This is like same conversation. She's like, I want to do this. Her spouse owns another company that's currently my client. And so she was just going to kind of hop on the same program that he had. Um, and so... Uh, she, you know, we've been working together for a couple, like probably six months now. And I'm like, Hey, like, let's just get this done. Your employees want this. You like, let's get done. Whatever. She's like, honestly, it's been slow, whatever. Can't afford it right now. And then she looks at me, Hey, but let me show you about the boat I just bought. Dude. Yeah. It's a freaking yacht. <laughs> it cost a quarter of a million dollars. Yeah. And she's, and she's telling me that she can't afford a $20 a month per employee for 10 employees. And I just, I didn't know how to respond because part of me, I'm like, is this real life? Is, is, yeah. is you know, but you're right. And so you pull chunks out of your business to now all of a sudden you're like, oh crap, we did have a slow month. Right. I, it is tight. And this yeah. is a perfect example of what you're saying. And it's, it's hard because you, you, most people who start a business do it because they want to be like, have the freedom and self, yeah. you know, ownership of what they can do, but they also want to make money. Yeah. And it's very hard to say okay, this is a long-term thing. Yeah. And yeah, I want to make sure. And and there are people who have, I'm, I'm not saying one person, one perspective is right or wrong. Like if that mm. lady's goal is to maximize her cash out of the business and doesn't care about the long-term health of her employees of the business, this is America, yeah. baby, free enterprise. Yeah. yeah. 
she needs she can do whatever she wants, but also that's not the best path for your business if you want it to be successful. Right, right. You're going to have high turnover. You're going to have cash flow issues. You're not going to yeah. be able to. And for me, I look at this as a 30-year game, and it's very important to have all these things dialed in correct in my business far mm. more than it is to have what I want personally. Yeah. Because if I commit to this game for 30 years, there's going to be a way better result personally yeah. too, but it's hard. It's not easy. There's- that's hard, man. And that's another conversation maybe we could talk about later of the whole mindset because there is a level of delayed gratification that's true. But then I also think there's a level of enjoying life while you're young. Yes. And so for what you're saying, I agree 100%. I've struggled with that too. I think also scaling too fast is where a lot of people get in trouble. Yep. I know that's where I got in, kind of got into trouble because we're still – we should be at the point right now where I don't have to worry about a thing. Right. But we're not because I've made certain decisions to scale the business yep. that have caused stress and caused us to go, ooh, I need to make sure all my clients pay their invoices because I have this person on payroll, this happening, right. this happened, this happening. And I think that's part of just doing business, but I do, do think that if I could have held on for maybe another year of me doing 70-hour work weeks, Right, I wouldn't be in this position. Yeah, no. but that that is hard too, though. Yeah. There, because there is that work life balance with, like, hiring somebody to allow you to work forty hours. Like doing that for seventy hours a week for three years is better financially, but there is the personal aspect yeah, that you, you have to weigh it? out. You gotta you gotta weigh out not just monetarily, but the personal yeah, and wife and. All that stuff. All the fun stuff. I love that conversation. We could talk about that for three hours. Right. I think it's a cool conversation. So you have, you had the business that you started, you bought out your father-in-law. 2017, January 1st, bought him out. And then from there, we just kind of grew for two, two years of running profitably, operating profitably. We're finally able to save some money and do some stuff to where we're like, all right. Because we rent out there in Seattle. It's a little more pricey than Mm -hmm. here. To give context, when I was about to move here and be a teacher and coach, I had an offer on a house for $40,000. Then I moved to Seattle, and by the time we were actually considering buying anything, it's like four hundred, right? So the housing market is just different. And so mm-hmm. now we've, for two, three years, owned the business outright ourselves. Um, 2019, we were like, all right, I knew some people who build houses and found out that if I could build my own house, maybe we could make some money. Yeah as like a, almost a business. I'm like, all right, maybe I'll build a house, stand it for two years, sell it, build another one. And this will be a new side business I'm going to do because it's tax-free if you build a house, stay there for two years and sell it and I can make the equity. That distracted me from my business mm. because I spent time and effort building a house, which worked out very well. But if I had spent the time and effort on growing my business, I would have grown more from 2019 to 2020 mm. than I did by spending the time on my house build. So there was a trade-off there. So I did that. We got a house finally, get, got some security in 2019 to where we moved into a house that was a good place, had some equity built by the sweat sweat equity that we put into mm-hmm. the house. And then from there, I started to go, what's next in business? What's next? What are we going to do? Because I'm like a perpetual what's next kind of person. I'm always looking for what's the next thing to do, yeah. which can be bad, but can be good in times too. It's provided me a lot of opportunities. But so that's where we're at in 2019. Basically, it ran the business for two years solo, profitably well, grew every year. And then I was like at a point where I'm going, what do we do now? Mm. Do we just keep doing the same thing? 
Um, and that's where I started thinking about buying businesses. Yeah. So where did that come? Like, I want, I'm glad we got here because this is where I want to pause. And this is buying businesses sounds stupid risky. Yeah. And for someone that <clears throat> says that they're risk averse, how, how did that kind of go and be like, cause you had two options. You could either keep scaling your business that you were currently running right. and keep getting that to be a behemoth and get as big as possible. But instead you took a different path. Yeah. To degree. I mean, you're still trying to grow. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But you took a different path of saying, no, I want to diversify right. and and buy businesses. So why buy businesses instead of start businesses? So I will say I was that a fair question? Yeah, no, it's a great okay, question. Okay, okay. So my the commercial world, same problem. It's slow growth. Mm. I can only grow so fast. I can't get a job tomorrow. I there are some I can, but there's a limit to that. Contracts are bought out two, three years in advance. And so it is a slow growing machine. The first thing we did do was try to grow that business. And I did start a Portland division. So now there's a Portland division down there with a handful of guys down there and a key guy running it. And I'm looking to add waterproofing and I'm looking to add other things with that business. So the primary first thing I would try to do and am still doing is growing that business mm. because it takes the least amount of capital, least amount of risk to do. And so I am doing that. But if I have profits that are coming out of the business and I don't want to spend them, I can put them into the stock market or real estate or something like that and get a, you know, 8% return. Or I could go, well, what if I can find a way to buy or start a business and generate a 30 to 40% return? Hmm. And it's something I own long-term and I can control the growth of it. I can't control the growth of an index fund. If I buy a small business and I put a lot of effort and time into making it grow, it could double its revenue next year. I've conservatively lived and put money away for like, here's the safe net. Now we're going to be very aggressive with the things that we have. And so I'm trying to figure out ways to put money to work that will create the most return. And that's what led me to look at buying hmm. businesses. It it was, I would like to say I was in it a little before all the people got super excited about it. Like if you look online, it seems like everybody's talking about this now. They buy boring businesses, do this stuff. Hmm. And I was like, man, how did these, how did it all happen at the same time? But I think COVID kind of opened people's eyes up to it too, a bit. Um, but yeah, that's, that's what started it. And I guess probably the thing that prompted me was when I bought my father-in-law, I didn't have the money to buy him out. So I came up with a very creative deal structure hmm. to where it worked very well for him, minimized my risk, but allowed me to buy him a hundred percent out day one and gave him a lot of upside with me taking less risk. And I went, why can't I come up with a deal like that hmm. for another business? And so my idea of buying businesses was not go spend a ton of money and buy a huge business. It's how can I be creative hmm. in deal making to buy a deal that's worth far more as it is, but that guy has some incentives that are aligned with me. And if I succeed, he succeeds. And if I fail, he fails. It's been that's that. smart. It's that's more of I'd say what prompted me was like I can be creative. Yeah. There's no rules yeah. on how you buy a business. There there are some. Like him, let me be clear. There's legal rules. But there's no rules as to how you pay the person. Like yeah. if I wanted to buy your insurance business, I could come to you and say, Hey, I'm gonna give you a hundred thousand dollars for your business. Mm -hmm. Or I could come to you and say, Hey, Dylan, I wanna grow your business to this level. And I'm gonna do it over the next four years and look at my track record of all the things I've done. I want to give you $25,000 right now, but I want to give you 15% of profit for the next 10 years. Mm. Why can't I do that? I can. If you buy into me, mm -hmm. then I can create a deal like that where there's less risk for me, more risk for you. But you, if you buy into me, 
you might go, hey, I'll ride along with this and I'll yeah, work a little less and there's it'll an be better There's an upside over me. 100, significantly potentially over 100. Right. Yeah. So so that's where I, I, that's what's prompted me is like, okay, maybe I can find ways to do this creatively. Because mm. every time I've done something that's worked, it's been creative. The house build, I did it all without a mortgage by just like figuring Ooh. this out. And then I got the mortgage after the fact because construction loans are complicated. So I just like, you could do this a different way, right? So I found a way to do it. Then I got refinanced after the fact hmm. and was able to make, you know, 25% equity on my house. But it was a creative thing. I, I, my brain works like, how can we creatively come up with a deal that will work? And that's my... That's smart, man. That's the thing that I think there's been so many things I've looked at where I've said, no, don't get me wrong. But if you look at 100 things and try, yeah. try, try, you might find one that works. So you have how many businesses now? Uh, it's three right now. Um kind of for because we started a division within another business that's it's really its own business its but own entity yeah. yeah so we have three businesses but that's crazy and you started when did you start doran holdings like when did when uh, you... so i i registered that name i don't know in 2019 when i was like oh maybe i'll start buying businesses and then i didn't really do anything with it it just was sitting there and then in 2021 i bought a business that fit in with our current business mm. and just kind of brought it in to the same business under the same fire stopping business. It was somebody who did, um, spray intumescent paint. Okay. And I was like, okay, this could be a good fit. I hired the guy, brought him in and he's in. So that was the first thing I bought after my father-in-law's business or partnership with me. Oh. So I bought that guy and brought him in. And then I started looking on broker dealers, websites everywhere, just scanning, calling people, looking at all the financials. And I probably, I don't know how many I looked at, a ton of businesses. Mm. Um, and then I found this one that I could tell the owner wrote it and it was way out of my price range, but I still called. So I called him and I could tell it was the owner I'm talking to. And I said, why are you selling? And he was hesitant to tell me why he's a young guy, but then ultimately he told me why, and he had to sell for religious reasons. Mm. And I went, I can't afford this, but I think I can find a way to make this work. So I said, we need to meet. Let's get lunch and let me talk to you. And so we did. We got lunch and this was in 2021. And we talked for the next 11 months. Wow. And I was like, we should do this. We should do this. Here's why. Here's why we should do this. It'll work really well for you. And I had to build trust with him for 11 months to get it figured out. And then finally we came up with terms that would work. And then I bought it to where he still runs the business completely. I meet with him twice a month. Sometimes more than that. But... We, he runs the day-to-day -day business and we run the back end and then we, we basically are a partnership, but I own hundred percent of the business, mm. but he has a profit share agreement and a salary as the CEO of the business and runs it and he's growing it. And he's a young guy that's just crushing it. He was doing great. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was again, a very unique deal where I could not have done it without that kind of a weird scenario where I could structure a deal that he's betting on us long-term and is willing to take less money for the business than he wanted to. Yeah, and there's like there's two quick lessons that I mean right up pop out to me is number one you were you were patient in finding the right deal. Yeah, I think a lot of people are like, oh, I'm oh I want to do this thing. I'm going to sacrifice what probably isn't the right decision out of excitement. And yeah. you were patient and were like, I'm going to find the right company that fits what I'm trying to do. And then when you found it, you were persistent. Yeah. At, at saying, dude, no, like, let's do this. And, and in sales, it, persistency is everything. Yeah. Um, and so that's really cool, man. 
Yeah, because honestly, with my style of buying businesses, I was actually on a Zoom call just before this. It's really, I'm selling them on me and mm-hmm. our businesses and what we're going to do long term. Yeah. So most businesses, they just want the money and they want to get the best price and leave. But I'm a functionally a salesman in a way where it's like, hey, here's what I love about business. Here's what I want to do. I want your employees to make more than they've ever made. I want to get them health insurance and 401k. And I and some business owners will care about their employees after mm-hmm. they're gone. And so I can tell them, here's all the things we're doing for our current employees. Here's what we do for these other things. And I'm looking to hold this thing for 30 years and make your brand the best brand it's ever been. And so I'll be your steward of your brand moving forward mm-hmm. and help whoever's running it, run it well. And I'm not looking to pull money out. I'm looking to grow this thing. And so that can work for a very small select set of business owners who are looking to sell because they're like, it's my baby. And I don't want my baby to just disappear when it's gone. I want to find somebody who can steward it. And so that it's not going to be like I'm going to have a huge amount of opportunities, but the ones that I can get hopefully will be good ones Hmm. that will align with kind of my objectives and incentives for our businesses. Now, are you trying to keep all of your purchases within the construction field or are you open to no. exploring into whatever you think makes a good a good business purchase initially we had i was calling it blue collar capital okay and i was like that's fun i was gonna be like all right we're gonna buy blue collar businesses but somebody had the domain name with this correct Dang spelling it. and so i spelled it with a k and then people <laughs> got confused and i was like all right i give up on this we're just going with door and holdings so i was excited about like blue collar capital we're gonna buy blue collar businesses but then i went you know what i don't i, I love business yeah. i don't love construction mm. i i i like it in a way but i don't have a like i'm actually not that good at building things um i did it and i've worked and then done that stuff but i'm not like a, a construction guy who wants yeah. to only own those um, there's a unique thing that construction businesses are hard to sell. And so I, I think there are more opportunities for me to buy those types and it's what I know so I can do it. But if somebody came to me tomorrow and said, Hey, I have this business, that's a manufacturing business, which I did look at one here in Detroit that was for sale. I would do that. Or if it was a software business that for some reason wasn't trading at 30 times, whatever, mm-hmm. then I, I wouldn't say no to anything. That's, I feel like I've been served well by never saying no t- hmm. to anything. I will say no to a lot, but I'll always look at it because even if I look at it and decide no, I learn a lot in the process. Hmm. Like I didn't know that manufacturing businesses have this, this, and this thing going on. That that information, it's great. It's a learning process. I'll look at it and I'll see huh. if it could work and then I learn a lot on the way. So then when you buy, do you, it's like, I mean, you've done this three to be four times and you're yeah. looking at this. Is the goal always to try to retain the owner for a certain period of time to help with the knowledge of the industry or is part of the buying process like, okay, I also need to now find another expert in this field to come in and run the company? Yeah. How, does that, how does that work? It is, it is very unique to each business. Like the business I talked to today, the guy's been doing what he's been doing for 42 years. Mm. And so he's in the field side. He's an expert. But they have enough guys in the field who are also experts that it's not really that critical that he stays on. Mm. And the office end, I can train anybody on. And and I've got people who we can teach the back end. The back end is usually not that hard. In the construction, the, 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 the stuff we're looking at, he needs to have some industry knowledge on how we build these things. And so ideal world, I would like to buy a business where 
the owner or a key employee stays on and mm-hmm. I give them a percentage of profit share, basically a salary plus, mm-hmm. because that ensures the risk for me. If I can say, basically, I have a partner who's a salary plus, and they're not a true partner. I do like this thing called phantom equity, where if they leave, they don't get anything anymore. Because if you have a partner mm-hmm. and they just decide they're not working anymore, they're still your partner. So I prefer to have a profit share where they get X percent like they're a partner, but if they leave, that goes away. Mm. Um, so I want to have something where I can have an owner or a key employee like that. And most of the things I've looked at, we have, well, the three businesses I have all had that. Mm. They they had a person who's running it who stayed on. Mm. This business I was looking at today, I would have had to replace that guy. So that would be a har- harder piece to the puzzle, but I think it could be done and yeah, I would find. You a also way. just don't know the amount of 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 people in the companies that, if given the opportunity, would rise to the occasion, right. and they've right. never been given the opportunity. Right. Um. And so that that's also an interesting thing. Um. Dude, this this excites me. Uh. For a couple reasons. Number one, um. I've always wanted to invest in businesses. Like I've just thought, you know, you watch Shark Tank, and you're yeah, like, yeah. dude, this would be sweet. Um. And then, uh, but never believing that I'd be able anytime soon to get to the cash flow place to be able to just put down a quarter million dollars on a business. Right. It makes you think that it's just not possible. And what you did is you went to the drawing board and you're like, Hey, I want to do this, but how can I make this work right. on my terms? Yep. And if someone's going to be willing to accept those terms, then that's great. And if they're not going to, then that's fine too. Right. And that's, that's awesome, man. That's exciting. Um, I think it's, I think it's exciting for a lot of the listeners too, because, um, it just shows that whatever you're working on, there's a creative path to solve that problem. I, I think that that is one of the most important things for people. If you want to get ahead, like be thinking about creative ways to do so. One of the, I mean, I'm, you're probably familiar with like house hacking, the idea of house hacking, um, or no, I'm not, I'm not actually, you'd buy a house that's like, obviously not that great. And find a way to make it a little better, and you're going to make some equity on there. Mm-hmm. Or if you're single, buy a house and rent out three rooms, mm-hmm. right? Or whatever your situation, me, it was I could buy a house or I bought a piece of land where I literally went and knocked on the door of the lady and said, hey, could we buy this lot with my kids? So she felt like she should sell it to us. And it worked, bought it mm-hmm. below market, and then did it ourselves. Like find things that you can be thinking about, all right, and I'm not saying money's everything, but if you want to get ahead, you're far better served going and doing the work of seeing what can I be creative about hmm. to find a way to make some extra money or to do an investment or to buy a deal. Why how why can't I do this? Hmm. Rather than just like I can't do this, go like, how can I make it happen? And then and then run the numbers and be like, can I make this happen or not? And then a lot of times you'll say no. But man, learning so much in the process while you explore all these new opportunities. Like Shark Tank, watching it, you learn so much about little businesses. Mm-hmm. When you go to a business broker website and you just read about it and then you say, hey, I want more information about this business, they send you the financials, you read the financials, you ask four questions, you learn a lot. Mm-hmm. So even if you have $0, just go ask about the broker thing. Eventually, they'll catch on that you're the guy that's just asking all the questions you don't have any money. But it, you learn and those skills you learn along the way will allow you to come up with a creative way to do something in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's good advice, and and I'm just thinking like, man, I have like a thousand questions I want to ask now. But the, I guess what I really want to kind of know is like, I, was there a mentor in your life that kind of helped you 
see the this path help you be creative or or was it just maybe a conglomerate of of people that kind of you've pulled from yeah um uh, how important is maybe finding somebody that has walked the walk at some level before and picking their brain and developing a close friendship with a mentor um maybe i don't know if if you've had any experiences like that or if yeah. you can speak to that so i mean i would say my life has been hugely impacted by a handful of people and also by a handful of books and courses and things. I went to college, got a degree, and had knew nothing about business in any way. Right. And then the first thing I did once I was looking at, I want to do business. I had this partnership that I was a part of, and I started reading Entree Leadership from Dave Ramsey. Hmm. And I started, I paid money to join their mastermind thing. And I started learning from a group of people there and went through all his courses 20 times on it just learning as much as I could. So it was mentorship from a distance there. But then I also had a guy named Peter Sullivan who mm. was at Northland the same time I was at Northland and he had bought and sold business that he had. And he's been a mentor of mine for the last 10 years. Mm. I don't bother him that much, but I've always offered to help him with anything he could. And then I get around him when I can. My dad had a, he was on the board of a thing he was doing. And I said, hey, can I fly in and sit on this board meeting? And then can I do this and that? And so I spent, you know, 500 bucks to get a plane ticket to go to Greenville to sit on a board to get around that guy because I knew the other people on the board were five other business owners. And then I, after the meeting went, hey, can I meet with you? And then I met with the guy who owned a plumbing company and talked with him for half a day about my father-in-law, who's my partner, and how do I get a, like, what should I do? Mm-hmm. And he helped me just basically think through, well, what do you want to do? And do you want to buy this thing out? And how could you do it? So it's just always asking questions of people who are farther ahead of you. Serve me a ton. We have a lot of people in our networks of people who are very successful, and I, I've always asked them a lot of questions whenever I can. So mm. um, actually a guy named John Taylor. Mm-hmm. He was a CFO for uh, Jackson Dawson for a long time, and I've had a number of conversations where I sit down with him and go, hey, what do you think about this? Mm. What am I missing here? So asking questions from people who are way harder down, farther down the road has been a huge part of my journey and success because i would not have known most of the things i know like it takes way longer you shorten your you shorten the time it takes Mm. right to to get where you want to go by learning from other people's experience rather than your own yeah i think it's uh jordan peterson who said it's a smart person who only uh, will ask a bunch of stupid questions once yeah so ask stupid questions and smart people ask stupid questions, but you're only going to have to ask them one time. Yeah. And, uh, and when we say stupid questions, that might be, it would seem stupid to somebody that has the experience. But once you ask the question, you never have to ask it again because you get the answer. I am a huge fan of asking questions that if you, if you think you're going to dumb, look dumb, ask it anyways. Yeah. And, and say, Hey, explain it to me like I'm five hmm. because who cares what people think of you? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, honestly, if you don't know, like if you were to tell me about insurance right now, I could go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And act like I understand. And then be like, walk out of the room, not knowing it. Mm-hmm. Or I could just go, Hey, wait, can you walk back and just re- I don't get what you just said. Could you explain it to me again? Mm-hmm. But people just don't do that. Cause they just blow past it. Yeah. With CP, especially if you're ever working with throw this out there, business owner tip. If you're ever talking with your CPA or somebody else, a lawyer, just tell them, just like, hey, stop. You're talking, I, I'm paying you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're you're talking over my head and I'm going to either pretend like I understand you and just say yes, or you're going to educate me on 
this right now and talk to me like I'm a five-year-old Yeah, because I don't understand what you're you saying. You don't want to be Googling what your accountant's saying as you're no, talking on the phone. No, you don't. Yeah. So don't be afraid to do that if you're a business owner and you don't understand something just or a business broker mm. and they're saying things that you don't understand. Just go, hey, 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 stop and explain to me like I'm five because I don't get it. Yeah, because there's a level of, I think, just pride that comes in us that yes. says- I don't want to look the fool. Like yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to be looked like I'm not an expert. And right. when it, in reality, uh, I think a successful entrepreneur is someone who is confidently humble yeah. and humble enough to embarrass themselves, potentially risk embarrassment to get the right answer. And there's never embarrassment. Like I mean, I know I've asked a bunch of dumb questions, and it's almost always met with people wanting to help you. Yes, and it's very rarely met with people saying, what, who the F are you to ask me this stupid yeah. question? They're like, oh yeah, this is what I meant by that. Yeah. And, but I think a lot of times we get in our own heads. You want to portray ourselves of someone who we're not. Right. And um, the only way you learn is by asking questions. And we live in a society that everyone wants to pretend they know all the answers. Right. And that's not how you learn. You don't learn by pretending you know everything. Nope. You learn by saying you know nothing. And then that's, that's the first step yeah. to learning something. Yeah. I do want to throw out, like, we've made it sound like it's all sunshine and rainbows. <laughs> we're getting there. I love okay, that. Okay, good. That's I was going to say, make sure we get well, to yeah, that. Oh, <laughs> yeah. We're going to get to that. So, yeah, let's right, let's cool. let's turn. Let's turn to that. I just got to make sure that it doesn't come Challenges like were everything. coming up. Good. Challenges were coming up. Good, good, good. Uh, yeah, so, so let's talk about some challenges. Uh, and before I forget, I do want to, with challenges, I want to talk about the pros and cons of side hustles. Yeah. So we can talk about that later or now. I don't care. Uh, but... Let's talk about it now, and then we'll go yeah. to challenges at the end. So pros and cons of side hustles. We talked a little bit before. I have my Aflac agency. COVID came in and destroyed our business. And I say it destroyed our business. It more destroyed me. Yeah. That's probably honest. Like, the, the honestly, sure. it destroyed my motivation, my hope, my willingness to put myself out there, my confidence. Then by it destroying me, it destroyed the business. That's probably the better way of, of putting <laughs> right. it. Uh and so then I looked at some side hustles and what I realized about side hustles is they can be awesome, but it seems like whenever my side hustle is going really well, my main business is always struggling. Yeah. And then when my main business is going well, my side hustle isn't doing as good. And I personally, now I'm also dumb, so it could just be, it could just be a Dylan problem, but I personally have not seen where all are going up at the same time. It's generally like you have to make a sacrifice somewhere. So let's talk about side hustles. What do you think about them as being an entrepreneur, business owner, even working at a nine to five, trying to start some side stuff? Like what are some, some of your thoughts on side yeah. hustles? If, if you are working a job as an employee and you can't turn a lever to make more money, like you're a salaried employee who's making $50,000 a year, and you can't say, I'll work a little extra and make 55 or 60, then side hustles are, you should do them. If you want to make more money, do the side hustle. Start figuring out ways to improve your earning potential, whatever. If you are a business owner who has levers they can pull in their business mm. and instead is thinking about how can you make money on the side, I do think it will cause your business to suffer. Hmm. I, I think it will typically, and this isn't always, I, I'm never dogmatic about anything, but if, if I have, I know for a fact when I built that house thinking I'm going to make money on the side 
by building equity and every day I go to the house after work and I do this thing and I do that thing and I'm running the general contractor for this, I guarantee you I could have made more money had I hired the build and I spent that time on my business. Mm. But I didn't. And do I care right now? No, because it was a good experience. I learned some stuff and I had some fun and did it. But the better result financially and for my business would have been to spend the time and effort on my business and let the experts spend the time on the house build and just pay a little more and go make it up in the business because I could have, I could pull levers to make money there. That would have made up the difference, Hmm. but I don't think they're bad. I just think you need to know there's trade-offs when I go and spend my time doing DoorDash or working at a part-time job where I could have just spent an extra four hours working on reaching out to cold calls for people or going out and door knocking to get more clients for my Aflac industry, whatever yeah. it is. Like, I think that's going to actually make you more in the long run if you stay focused on your business. But if you have a short-term cash issue, I'm not against them. I just think there's trade-offs. If you're going to do it, yeah, I think that's the that that's what people need to understand is the trade-offs. Also, the question is, as a business owner, do you know your ROI for your time? That's that is a true question for sure. And that's where there's a lot of people that overdo that sometimes, mm-hmm. but I, I agree. Like you have to think through what's the best use of my time. And if you're going and doing like Uber Uber Eats and DoorDash are an easy one. Yeah. You're gonna go make 20 bucks an hour doing that. Is there anything else where you can generate more than 20 bucks an hour? Mm-hmm on that time. And I, I think if you're an owner, typically the answer is yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. But the short term need of getting cash in the door quick over overshadows that at times mm-hmm. because it's that ROI on your money isn't necessarily like as, as uh, addictive as the short term hits of the cash in the mm-hmm. door. Cause it just feels different. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's something that I don't think about a lot. It's also the ROI isn't the, it isn't hundred percent the argument. Also, is how quickly is that money going to hit your bank account? Yeah, that's and and that's that's a that's a point that I don't think that I yeah. think about that much and too. There, and there are different stages in life where people need that. Yeah, like you, yeah. sometimes you need that for your family, and yeah, it's it's just the thing. Like, if, but if you look at, I don't know if you've ever watched Alex Ramosi's stuff or Mm-mm. Gary V. Oh, dude, you Gary V. Yeah, you haven't watched Alex Ramosi? No, no. Oh my goodness, you got to find Gary V. Everyone yeah. on the channel, if you need this, Alex, Alex Ramosi, Ramosi, Hormosi. He he built a company called Jim Launch. And then a company called Allen and another company. He is yeah. right now my favorite person to f- consume content from oh. in the whole whole world of business content yeah. because he is just straight to the facts of like, here's what you do. And he's not selling you anything. He's not doing any courses or anything like that. He's just going, here's how I built what I built. And here's good content. So he's a great guy to listen to. Uh, the Dylan Ng show is the number one show on yeah, YouTube, though. That by far. I would say that's your first. And then second Alex would be Alex Ramosi. And yeah. then from there, you know, uh, everyone else. But that's, those two are the top two. I have two. seen this guy on YouTube. He, he's got some very good breakdowns. A free course on uh, his website called $100 Million Leads. And it's a great seven video series on that. But he talks about side hustles a bit on there. And other people do, too. And I think they can be great. For a period of time, but you have to know the trade-offs. Hmm. So that's that's my thoughts on side hustles. I will not do a side hustle at my point in life because I have five kids and I have three businesses. And if I was going to go do a side hustle to make some money, it would just be like, so do I spend the time with my family mm. or do I spend the time? Like, do Where does really that sacrifice that? come from? It's yeah, good, it, yeah. I'm giving up somewhere. I, now, I do do side hustles in a way where I'm looking at what business I can buy. Yeah. But I'm not getting paid for that. That's like a... 
I'm just looking for opportunity. Mm -hmm. So I don't think looking for opportunity is bad, but you always need to know the trade-offs of your primary business will suffer. Yeah. Until you have someone else who owns that business Hmm. to the level of like, you have like my business, uh, stable construction, the CEO is there. If I do something else, the business doesn't have any impact. He's running it and he owns it like he runs it. That's when you can kind of go and get distracted. But if you don't have somebody who owns that business, like from a emotional perspective, then then you won't, you're going to hurt your business by not focusing on it for sure. Yeah. I think I've, I mean, dude, even, even. Are we doing a side hustle right now? That's what I'm saying. (laughs) That's what I was coming from. That's why I'm like, shoot, dang it. (laughs) But that's okay. It's, I'm not saying it's bad. I think, I think as long as you realize that. There's trade-offs that happen. You could probably be doing a little better with your Affleck business yeah. if you didn't do this. Yeah. But you want to do this, and Correct. that's fine. Like, who cares? Yeah, because because there's the it's funny. It just kind of hit me. I'm like, oh dang it, we're doing a side hustle right now. <laughs> Existential crisis. Yeah, in the middle of, brain freezing. In the, in the middle of podcast. Because <laughs> not only does it take up my time during the workday, I also sure. pay for editing, and it's like there's yep. like um, let me justify. Let me justify. It's like, <laughs> no, it's, like I think it's awesome what you're doing, and I I'm doing some of that too right now, on my end. Nothing public facing, but. I think it's great to have yeah. side hustles as long as you understand the trade off for Correct. that thing. Yeah. And there's also, so, so for the show, just to, for, just to make me feel better <laughs> about all this, I think that the long term growth, so I'm an optimist. I'm an, I'm an optimist. I believe that the show is going to take off. Yeah. I believe that. Like deep down, like we're going to sell merch. We're going to have, I like, love it. I, like, it's going to be a big show. One day we're going to be interviewing big names, and that's just what hey, I believe. Whoa! One day you're going to be no, I'm just kidding. One day in the future, I feel like starting today, <laughs> Daniel Dora. So, and then also the other thing was like I viewed this as marketing for my agency. Yeah. So, because it's gonna it's going all over LinkedIn. My LinkedIn follower count has shot through the roof because I've been posting clips on my LinkedIn and yeah. like people are getting like one clip I post already has over 20,000 impressions on LinkedIn. Yeah. And so that's 20,000 people seeing that I did at do Aflac, I do life insurance. And so it was a intentional marketing push. When I said I was going to be spending money on editing, I didn't have a marketing budget for my agency. That is my marketing budget. Yeah. So I actually slotted now as marketing budget 200 bucks a month for editing. Yeah. And so I did think through that stuff, but it is funny to me because we're literally, you're talking and I'm like, this is literally so good because I do think sometimes I get so wrapped up in this because this is fun. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Door knocking and sales calls is not fun. Not as fun. And it is a really healthy reminder for me just to remember, hey, like I am sacrificing something right. by doing this. And right now it might be helping people. It might be good content, but I'm not making money doing this. Right. And so that is a good reminder for me. And I think it's a good reminder for a lot of people. Dang it, man. That I feel was a challenged. Funny turn, right? Yeah, that was awesome. I was like, as I said it, I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> no, it's good, though. I like yeah, it. Yeah, it's good. So let's talk about challenges. We've done about me. Yeah. I, I feel like crap now. <laughs> so let's just keep going. Uh, so being an entrepreneur is not a walk at the park. It, no. It's not a walk in the park. There's a lot of stress that happens, there's a lot of tears, pain, stress. I think entrepreneurs can be very prone to just, yeah, just very stressful, anxiety-filled living. So if you wouldn't mind, I'd love to just do like story time deal. Yeah. Like if we could just jump into some stories of challenges, like some some real examples, if, if you wouldn't mind. I know it's a very specific question, but do you have any challenges or stories of like, this was really hard for me? Um, this could be in the first business. This could be a, during your buying, maybe some really stressful periods. And then what you did to try to like, 
kind of make it through those. Yeah, there. I mean, there's been, we're at a very like healthy place right now for 10 years. I would say the first five and a half to seven mm. were, they were hard. Like they were very, very hard. And it was hard financially. It was hard um, relationally with my wife. Not like we didn't have any huge problems. No fist fights. No fist fights. She didn't okay. beat me up or anything. But we did not talk that much because I was working so much. Like my wife had three kids, three and under, mm. and I'm working. I never took a like I never take a day off for that for that first first few years. It was just like nonstop work. And um, yeah, I can think of a, a one example would be when we were first getting going. I was working the job for my father in law. I would work. I had this, we had this midnight's job and, uh, I work from midnight to 7am. Then I go to a, another site and work from seven, seven thirty-eight till like 3pm. Then I come home and sleep for a couple hours. And then I'd go to work on bids in the evenings. And then I'd go to sleep for a couple hours, get up, go the next day. This was like a couple, a few weeks stretch of this job where, and all these things were happening at once. And it was like, I didn't even see my wife for two weeks. I didn't even, I was going crazy. Like just my brain was fried and it was just nonstop for that. We didn't do anything the first five, six years of business to go like get away. Like I'd come here for vacation one week a year, usually Christmas to see my family. And other than that, we never took a day off, like Mm -hmm. never took a day off, just work, 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 because that's what we had to do out there. And it was very difficult and you go are we going to actually make it through this are we going to actually like succeed in this business and even up until a couple years ago there was a time where you're just like man i just hate this Mm -hmm. but you love it at the same time it's a it's a roller coaster Mm -hmm. ride as an entrepreneur there are times with people issues where you're just like we have between the businesses probably around 40 employees between the three businesses um maybe actually 45 or 50 but where you have people issues where you're just like, oh man, salary W2 job with no stress. Like I'd be home not thinking about this. And instead I'm at 8 PM just thinking about these problems that I have to deal with because it, the buck stops. The buck stops here. Yeah. And it's Derek and I have texted about like, dude, this is, this is a beast. It's hard. Cause you just, you just have a different level of weight and responsibility of things when you know everyone's jobs also depend on me. Yep. <laughs> and I'm not giving you like very great specific examples, but there have been times where I just look at it and go, this is hard. Why am I putting myself through all this when I could just not work as hard and mm. not have the ambition? We could just stay the size we are <laughs> and be a lot less hard. Like, mm. There's also that aspect. Like why grow when you could just live and care only about the this level? Yeah. But the game aspect of it to me is what keeps me going. It's like, it's, it's a game. It's, it's a fun game that I'm playing to learn almost with your podcast thing. You told me all about all these analytics and how your, how your things are going, how they're performing. Mm -hmm. I I view my business that way. How are these things performing? And that gets me through the downtimes of how frustrating it could be to have an employee issue or how hard it can be to deal with. Um, One of our businesses is really struggling with this. And I feel like, there's a problem we need to solve, but there's, you know, complications mm. to it where I can't solve it the way I'd want to because mm. I have a partner in that business and it's just complicated. Mm. So there's been self-induced stress, self-induced problems, non, not myself problems where other things have come from the outside and we have problems. But 
it's a roller coaster ride of struggles to get a business run up and running successful. And the thing I would say is don't, don't launch a business and start a business unless you realize that. Yeah. Like there's all these yeah. people saying it's a great thing to do. <laughs> yeah. But I would say if you have a really good job, unless you got a burning desire inside you to go do it, don't do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Keep that, keep that mm-hmm. salary and just keep your easy life. Yeah. Unless you have a burning desire to, if you are insane, you should do this. Uh, yes. If you're, if you're not actually, Derek and I talked about this on our podcast. Yeah. Like, like the lie of entrepreneurship online, where oh, you yeah. see people driving their Ferrari. We were joking about uh, frick, I forgot the the guy's name. Ty Lopez. Yeah, Ty Lopez. Yeah. When he's like, I love my books, and he's showing off his Lamborghini. <laughs> knowledge. Yeah, knowledge. Yeah. And in all reality, man, and at least in my life, it's been like it feels like the good times are 30% and the hard times are 70% when you're first starting. And then, you know, we've had some really good moments. We've also had some rock bottom moments. Like this year has been hard for the business, like inflate with inflation and per employee buying like 60% less. So then you have to find like 60% more. So like it never stops. And like, you would think that after five years of doing something, I was told Isn't that great when it starts with that? Yeah. I was told when I started this business, give it like five years and then you're going to have renewals that like blah, blah. Like it's just like five years is the whatever. And that it just isn't true. It can be. We also had a pandemic that kind of ruined. So I might be on year three. Yeah. More like it. But it does take, man just a level of uh, determination, humility, and a little bit of insanity to keep going forward. It does. And I don't, I'm convinced that even if you get it all dialed in perfectly, you're still going to have it because unless you just completely step out of the business, you still wear that stress of everyone's earning depends on me. Yeah. Everyone's, this business is success. Everything stops with me. And there's always other people coming to eat your lunch. Like Mm -hmm. there's always other insurance brokers who are trying to sell the same thing. Mm -hmm. There's always other construction companies. There's always other, and it's not to be like scared, but dude, I think about that. I go, oh shoot, what if they pass me? What if people like start working harder than me? And it's like a perpetual thing in the back of my head of like, how long is this going to last? And if I don't grind and even if I do, what is something, whereas if you're just an employee, not in, in a bad way, let me be clear, I have nothing wrong with employees. And I think it's a great thing if you're a good employee, who's a great family man, great member of whatever community you're part of, totally fine. And honestly, totally respect that. Yeah. But if you're an entrepreneur and you're weighing all that stuff and you know that it's a constant battle of this is a free market, people are coming after me. I, I'm coming after other people. Yep. Like I have targets. <laughs> that I'm going for yeah. that I want to take out another and I want to grow. You too. Exactly. And so it, you got to know that and you can't ever let your guard down and be like, just relax because ultimately your business will slack. Mm-hmm. Your business success will fade over time. And if you look at the track record of what businesses succeed and how long they succeed for, it's, a, it's not mm-hmm. a forever thing that just happens easy there. It won't ever level off and just be, oh, it's all cake. There are the outliers who will build yeah. a business that's going to be like that. But Yeah, and I'll tell, you, I'll tell you this. When you start slipping, it's really hard to get back on you, track. When you let your foot off that guy, gas pedal. I've seen this in my own business. Like when I first started, I was like number one at everything at all times. Like I was the number one new agent yeah. in the state of Michigan. I went on every single rewards trip. I went on, like that was my thing. And then when, when I say that COVID wrecked my confidence and wrecked a lot of what we had going on, you know, getting back to where I was and where we were has been triple as challenging. Right. Just even fighting the demons of your mind and fighting just the, am I in the right career now? And am I, should I even be a salesman? 
in? And should I even be an entrepreneur? Because at that point, because when you're young and hungry, yeah. And things are going well, even if they're not going well, but you don't know any better. Yes. Yeah. Like you're, you have your you're bowl in a China shop and you, you have like blinders on and you're going. But then all of a sudden life has this way to crack those blinders open to where your goal used to be simple. And then after a couple hard conversations, a couple fails, a couple you know, pandemics, a couple, yeah. a couple times where you have to look at your wife and you say, hey, we are in trouble <laughs> this month yeah. and we better pray that God gives us a deal in the next month or two because we are scraping right now. Yeah. So please, let's go light. Those blinders start opening and then all of a sudden those W-2 jobs look really enticing. And we've talked about this on the podcast. When we talk, this is an entrepreneurship podcast. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. it like, is an honorable thing to just work and spend time with your family. That is great. That's not, we're not crapping on that. But if you want to be an entrepreneur, be aware the longer you go at it, the more you see, uh, sometimes the grass always looks greener. And when the grass is looking greener, you, you forget about how green the grass is actually in your lawn. Yeah. And then you, you stop tending it. Yeah. And you think that if I would just, this is where side hustles come in. If I would just be able to jump over the fence just a couple times. Right. Um, and that's what's been going. That's the, that's the demons and the battles that I've been facing with my own business. And so what you're saying is right, man. Like, yeah, sorry. I just went on that. No, yeah, that's good. Because honestly, one thing that happened this year or last year. So you had the mortgage rates like at two and a half, three percent yeah. for like three years. And I knew a few mortgage brokers and I, I meet with a few guys who they tell me everything about their finances and businesses mm -hmm. and everything. And I was like, how is this for real, bro? <laughs> this seems unreal. And I'm thinking to myself, like I worked so hard to make X and I have this many employees and this much overhead and this much risk and he's working this hard to make this. And I'm like, oh goodness, what am I doing? I am in the wrong industry. <laughs> what am I doing? But seasonally, there will be times where industries thrive and people make tons of money and, and things go like that. And it is dangerous, like you said, to watch other people and go, oh man, that looks better that looks easier that and then get distracted so i think it's just a dangerous thing if you're if you're not committed and all totally bought yeah. into saying i'm gonna execute this thing one of my bigger fears is like thinking about how hard it was because i still work hard don't get me wrong but i have a lot more flexibility as you should i'm here for two weeks i oh, went great. back for two days really quick to have some meetings and then came back here but i'm here for two weeks now i could not do that for a long time and sometimes i think about if i had to start over from scratch would i do it again because of how hard it was mm -hmm. to get through that mud and junk and junk and i think about it i'm like i think i had the guts still yeah. but some of it was that beauty of not knowing yeah how hard it was going to be and just, and I never had it easier. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I just was like, I grinded into sports in college. Then I went straight to work and I was like, so I, I work do. all day. This is what I do. I just work all day. And I have a kid within mm -hmm. 10, 13 months of being married and I just have to work yep. <laughs> and I work nonstop. Especially now, when you have a passion, it doesn't really even feel like work. So you're like, this is fun. I could, I will I, tell you though, it didn't feel like a, I didn't have a passion. Mm -hmm. I hated it <laughs> initially because mm -hmm. well, I was breathing fiberglass. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, but just, I was just like, my kids got to eat and yeah. we were making 20 bucks an hour. And I was like, this okay, is it. And I got to work and I got to build this network marketing thing to get free. <laughs> but <laughs> I just thought that that's what I was going to do. Yeah. And I worked like to the bone. And then fortunately, the Lord opened doors up to where I was able to get in the opportunities I were, mm. was. And I worked really hard and honestly, very blessed. Mm. Like none of this was my doing to get the opportunities. Mm. Every single door I've walked through. Yeah, I had to walk through it. Yeah. And I had to do hard work to get there. But like, there's no reason I should have met my wife who had an entrepreneurial family, hmm. like, and then move out there just taking a risk to do a network marketing thing. And then a door opens where a guy's retiring and I say yes and we partner. And then I buy my father-in-law out. Very, was able to navigate a situation that worked out well. But then I bought another business where it only came across because he was a Mennonite and 
I was like, oh, I know I'm a, I, I'm a Christian. I know yeah, they're, I know what they believe. Yeah. I can sell them on, we could work together. And like, they're all just opportunities that should not have happened. Mm. And yes, I'm not like a, it's all luck. I had to work my butt off to do it, but I'm very blessed that I wasn't born <laughs> somewhere else to a different set of family and to a different yeah. set of opportunities. So I, there's a lot of that. I don't know what you call it. Not luck, but blessing in that where, yeah. I put in the hard work and suffered, but also doors opened, had the right situations happen. And I'm a very big proponent mm. of if doors open, push through them and see mm. if something's there. And if it closes, it closes, but just keep pushing, keep pushing. Yeah. And if you see something that looks like it might be a door, run into it. There you go. <laughs> like yep. see, Sometimes you got to make your own doors. See yep. if it's there. And then if it doesn't work out, then fine. Mm -hmm. But always be looking for something that you can push through and find opportunities. Yeah. Luck is where oper uh, opportunity meets preparation. Yep. Um, and I, I had any, a conversation with my agents today, you know, uh, he was like, Hey, I hope you get, he was talking to somebody else. He's like, Hey, I hope you get lucky and, and said some stuff. And I just put in text luck is where opportunity meets preparation. Yep. You know, you're going to get lucky with that thousand man account because you were there at the networking meeting. <laughs> you're not, you're not going to get that by yeah. sitting, eating potato chips on your couch. Like I, I can't remember the other one. It's like, I think it's, um, it's, I find the harder, or who was it that said it, but they said, the harder I work, it seems like the luckier I get. Yeah. So yeah. it's, it's kind it's of the same, same thing. Like you just, you're consistent. Mm. The opportunities will show up. Yeah. But you got to execute on them. You can't just watch them go past. Mm. You got to try and see if you can have that opportunity come. And you're going to fail. And yeah. anything you do, and this is where I'm learning too, is like failure is where if you admit and accept the fact that you're going to fail, you need to be ready for when you fail so you can get the most lessons out of that failure. Yes. And so versus being shocked when you fail and you're not ready to learn from that. I think having the, the mindset of being ready to fail, like I'm going to fail in my life. And when those failures come, I'm not going to be shocked. I'm not going to be depressed. I'm not going to be filled with stress. Yep. I'm going to be excited that they're there because failures are now an opportunity for me to learn and never do it again. Yep. Yeah, I've, I had, there's two I can think of that I had failures. One is with my original business, we said we're going to start a fireproofing division. And I should have done more research, <laughs> but we bought, I think, $40,000 worth of equipment mm. and thought, okay, we're going to do this thing. We're going to go for it. And we got a job that basically paid for all the equipment and uh, made like maybe a little tiny bit of money. And then we were like, this is not going to be a big business for us. We are not going to be doing this because every single job you do, it's like, oh, you need another piece of equipment and you need another new capital expenditure. And now you're a fireproofing company and you need somebody in the office. Like the capital investment needed to grow that business is not what I want to go down the road of. Mm. I could have found that out beforehand by doing more research, but I was like the entrepreneurial, let's take the risk. And fortunately we can still utilize that stuff and do small jobs and do some things yeah. that worked out. But I thought we were going to do something very different. And we've just basically walked back and said, we're only going to do, now we're going to do only this with it and yeah. it works, but it's not like a huge thing we thought it was going to be. Hmm. Another example of failure was I loaned money to a business that I was partners with. And that created a problem because I'm an owner and I'm a lender to the business. And when I talked to the partner, I think that conflated things because it's like, are you thinking as a partner or as a lender right now when you're talking to me? Yeah. And yeah. I will never do that again ever. Mm. But I would say one thing that's really important with failure is 
failure is only good if you evaluate the failure. Like so many people will be like, failure is good and you'll learn. But mm-hmm. it, a lot of people will not actually sit down and go, why did this fail? Mm-hmm. And then what do I learn from mm-hmm. it? My dad was the one who gave me the quote. He said, basically, experience isn't good. Evaluated experience is the thing that's right. And he, and he told me on the phone, he was like, I'm not just talking about think about what you learned, write it down and like start to build a log of things that you've learned along the way. Yeah. And one of those things would be don't loan money to a business that you're a partner with because it complicates the relationship. I would never do that again in hmm. the, in the format I did. Yeah. I would still potentially loan somebody some money if I needed to for a certain thing. And actually that's another business that I've got in Maryland that I'm, I'm loaning money to a guy who started up a trash business in the hopes that that might open the door to potentially buying into it. Hmm. So that's, that's another door that I saw randomly through a connection. This guy called me, met him a few times and I said, I'm not going to invest right now, but if you want a bridge loan, I'll lend you a little bit of money for this thing. So you can do what you need to do for working capital. Mm-hmm. And then if, if down the road that's open there, but that's cool. Yeah, it's kind of like the whole fail forward. You can yes. only fail forward if you actually take a moment to really dissect why you failed yeah. and what really actually happened. Um, you know, I'm going through the book right now that, uh, it's called talking about self-deception. Oh, leadership um, in the art of self-deception. Yes. David is a great salesman, isn't he? Yeah. Did he give you that? Yeah, he did. Dude. He, he is like the ultimate salesman. He is. Yeah. And he's a pastor. <laughs> hype, hype <So. laughs> man. The ultimate hype man. He is. He is. He, I, well, cause I was uh, canceling my, my audible subscription Yeah. because I had a bunch of unused credits and I'm like, I don't need to, like, I can just cancel it, get through the books that I have and yep. then I'll re, I'll, I'll re, you know, whatever. And so I just texted David. I'm like, Hey, send me some books. He's just like this one. And <laughs> like, all right, done. Yeah. So I'm on chapter like four right now. Yeah. He sent it to me as well. That's good. Yeah. It's yeah, good. it's funny. It's interesting. It, it's a cool book because it's like a story. Yeah. It's a story, but also has a bunch of like really good lessons in there. Yeah. I like those narrative type books where yeah. they have those. Yeah. But anyway. Uh, okay. So let's wrap up here. A couple final thoughts, I guess, for this. Your story is crazy. I think the, f- the takeaways I have is you are a creative person and you look at a problem and or you look at an opportunity that I think other people would just assume that they can't have or they can't do. And you're like, I am going to figure out a way that makes sense for for me. And I'm going to be as creative as possible to make both parties as happy as possible. Right. And I think that is a skill that is most people don't have, but it's something that can be taught. Yeah, honestly, they can learn it. Like I didn't have it. And I don't know anybody who, I I didn't ever learn that from anybody. Mm -hmm. I just went, can we make something happen? And I made it up. Mm-hmm. Like when I bought my father in law sitting at a table with me, him and somebody else. And I just said, I have an idea for how we could, cause we were having a hard time figuring out what's it worth and how do I actually buy them out? He said, here's what I propose. And it was a deal that I guarantee you, nobody has ever done a deal the way it was done. And it was weird <laughs> and I can't go into details, but basically he went, Oh, I think that could work for me. And we were like, okay, cool. So we drew it up and it worked, but it was just, I don't, it's the only way I could pull it off. Yeah. I didn't have money. Yeah. I didn't have any money. I had basically savings for our personal stuff, but I was like, I can't give that up. Mm-hmm. I have to be safe and the business is worth this, but I can make it worth more. So I just said, Hey, bet on me that I'm going to make it bigger. Mm. And then you're going to get something in the future by this, mm. this, and this. And so, yeah, it's just, I think don't limit yourself in what you can think. Like there's no rules to the game we're playing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can't be illegal, but there are no rules to how you can make something happen. And every deal I've done on paper initially 
would have been, I can't do this. And only through like, how can I do it? Hmm. Was I able to get them done? Man. But I wouldn't have done them if I just looked at them and said, can I afford that? They would, the answer would have been no, I can't afford that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you're listening to this and you're like, yeah, guys, be creative, figure out a way. There is a way to make it happen. It's out there. Yeah. And it might not be on YouTube. It might not be on a blog post somewhere. Sometimes doing what, just thinking, being logical, like, hey, how can we make this work? Getting back to the old, good old fashioned, using your intuition and using your brain and just making things happen. Yeah. And I think that is a, a good lesson, uh, honestly, for everyone. And dude, anything that you would like to plug, say, mention um, to kind of end us off? Yeah, if if you are looking to potentially sell your business, you can go to dornholdings.com and look. Um, we're not buying at a rapid scale or anything. I'm being very selective at what we would buy. Um, but we offer, we're going to be offering some co courses for business owners mm. on, on what accounting they actually need to know versus accounting in general. And then we're going to be offering some other things like that for free, just resources that should be coming out shortly. Um, and then I would just plug you, if you're interested in it, don't hesitate to reach out to another business owner and say, hey, what's, you know, I'm thinking about this. Ask questions. I, I have a couple guys that text me about thinking about buying businesses all the time. Hmm. And it's a refreshing thing for me, as long as you're asking questions that are not Googleable. <laughs> yes. So, but I just reach out. If you guys did want to reach out to me or Dylan, just networking is a huge yeah. piece of getting successful because you're going to learn as much as you can do. So reach out to me, reach out to Dylan, reach out to anybody and ask them questions about whatever you're trying to figure out. I love it. So if you're interested in learning more, Doran Holdings website, uh, Daniel's website will be in the description as well as the comment section. So you can check that out there. It's a cool little website. I visited it earlier. Um, I think you have a contact form on I there as well. I do a contact well. form for like a newsletter. Perfect. Something. So you can do that. Um, and if you want to just learn more, definitely comment on the video. Uh, this is great, man. I appreciate it. Thank yeah. you guys for watching. Thanks for coming on the show. Um, it was awesome. Yeah, cool. And we'll, we'll see you guys in the next episode. Thanks. Let's go, dude. Nice. Yeah. Cool.